Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Wino. How are you doing today, man? Good, good. How are you? Um, I'm very pleased to have you on. This is excellent. I've been a fan forever of your your billion bands that you're in. I mean, this is <laughs> you've had a lot of projects. Well, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of slimmed down to just to just me playing acoustic and the obsessed, basically. Which is still enough. I mean, it, it's and and your your your, your project also. Um, are you still going to do stuff with um with Connie? Um, you know, if, if if and when I get back to Europe or we get Connie over here, I still love to play with him. Uh, I mean, we never, did so really we never did really get to tour with Greedy uh, Conspiracy properly. But, you know, all that stuff is on a German label. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know what's going on over there now, it's a little bit, it might be a little bit tricky. But we'll see when it, see if things blow over. Okay. I'd love to play with him again. I mean, he's fantastic. He, You guys, but separate... I love it because, and to people who are watching, if you're not aware, I'll make a list. We'll, we'll put the post, you know, the links for everybody to follow this. But um, this is a project that you were probably touring as just solo acoustically, and you met up with him touring together, I believe, right? Yeah. And then you guys did an album together. Yep. Which is fantastic because he has his own darker style, and then you have your own really gritty, earthy acoustic style, but it's very beautiful too. It's, 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 Flash the blade. It's sharp, but it's it's pretty. I, I don't I don't know the right words for it. Maybe you can explain your better. Well, well the, my last acoustic record, Forever Gone, actually did actually did the best and got the best reviews of any record I've pretty much done. But you know, I think because it, uh, um, I think it's still pretty heavy. It's pretty personal, but I think that you know, I think it's heavy in, in the way that some acoustic can be. You know, it's like I've always been a fan of uh, New Young, mm-hmm. Nash and Young. Um, uh, I got into Townsend and a little bit later than most. And like, you know, you have to weed through that stuff to find yes. it, some of that stuff is pretty cool. I mean, I've always been drawn to like the more melancholy uh, minor or more melancholy sounding music as a rule. So, you know, with acoustic is no, no different really, but you know, Connie, uh, Connie got into his dark folk thing after we'd worked together. Like we did two records. We did uh, a heavy kingdom and we did freedom conspiracy and like I said, we never really got a chance to tour very, very much with Freedom of Jersey. It's on Exile on Mainstream. Mainstream. Exile on Mainstream. <laughs> a tongue twister. German label, yeah. And that guy's been, Andreas has been really cool. He brought over Spirit Caravan in the day and did a lot of cool stuff. What's, what's really great is, so you talk about um, your sound. And first of all, I'll just step back. Heavy to me can be anything. It doesn't have to be like acoustic can be heavy. Like anything can be heavy. Heavy is a feeling yes. of the song, of the of the, of the emotion. Does that be the words or the sound? But it's still heavy, and you know it when you know it. Yeah, right. It's it's just right. there. You, you it is a feeling. Heavy. It is a feeling. I mean, it's like it's like a visceral thing. It's like you feel it in your gut. You know. Yeah, I think it's all about passion. You know, passion and, and uh, you know, uh, music is like emotions companion. So going over this, I was going back and like listening to like through my life. I've always listened to all your music, but like I was listening to like different different albums and different things you've done. And um, what's really neat is you pick like say your solo acoustic, and then you pick your um, your Spirit Caravan and say Obsessed, and then you know Saint Vitus. The four of them, they all have you have a common like a, a footprint or blueprint of your sound, but they're all very different on on some level. From the outside, they might be like, oh, yeah, it's whatever. I mean, it's very easy to, to 
to categorize somebody. But like Spirit King in the end is very much kind of psychedelic, emotional, very uplifting. Where yeah. Vitus is more of a heavier, doomier, and then you know, then your your soul stuff is a acu- you know, acoustic is more is more yeah, it's more visceral. It's it's like an obsessed is just just <laughs> grinding. It's like they're all very different sounds. Well, Saint Vitus, I got. I will talk about Saint Vitus. Saint Vitus is, is the brainchild and the baby of, of Dave Chandler. I mean, I was just the, basically the singer and the front man for that band because um, I wrote very little in the band. I mean, I wrote lyrics to, I wrote, I wrote and played guitar on a few things, and I actually played guitar live in the band on our very first tour, which I believe was '87 or '88 when we first went over. Uh, I put, we actually had two guitars in the band. But as far as my writing contributions go, I mean, I didn't write more too late. I didn't write Dying Inside. Um, I wrote a couple of other ones that, you know, I, I wrote some stuff on Lily and I wrote some stuff off Mortal Cries and, play, and played on Mortal Cries too. But, but as a rule, generally, that was pretty much David's baby. So that's why that I opted out or I quit saying by this, you know, uh, some years ago before Children of Doom came out because I didn't like the music. If he's going to, if he's going to hand me the music and hand me the lyrics, I got to be into it. It's like, I could identify with Morty Lady. I could totally identify with Dying Inside. I could totally identify with, uh, you know, everything that I sang in St. Vitus, I could identify with. And I had to identify with that or I wouldn't have done it. I mean, you don't really, as a rule, you know, in life, I mean, you're not really, you know, going to do something you don't like unless, absolutely, you know, unless, right. you know, you have to for work or tyrannical boss or whatever. But, you know, as far as music goes, I mean, I, I have to be into it. The thing about St. Vitus is, Vitus music, St. Vitus music is uh, is is raw, mm-hmm. it's bleak, you know, and it's and it's primitive. And so during my t- tenure in St. Vitus, I'm not in St. Vitus anymore, not by my own hand, but because of David's wishes. But uh, you know, I had to get pretty fucked up to be able to get my head in the game because you know, hanging around those cats, you know, it was pretty dour. Like you know, right before we played, uh, I called it dour out. You know, I, sometimes I couldn't, even, I couldn't even be in, even in the room sometimes with those cats because they're so dour. But you know, it's like meaning, meaning, basically the, the original, the original duo, which is Mark and David. But I really like that band, and uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, just being a front man. You know, the two guitar thing went its way when a wayward fan, U.S. fan, who had absolutely no tact at all. You have to understand, there was always a little bit of jealous, uh, of professional jealousy on David's part from, from the very minute I joined the band because I was a guitar player and because people would talk about my guitar playing and stuff. And so when I joined St. Vitus as a singer, the bass player wanted to keep me as a guitar player when I incorporate that. And it was sort of like David kind of fought that in a way because David had a hard time realizing uh, that I was on his team. Right. I mean, he let, you know, he let stuff get in the way, you know, emotional stuff and, and, you know, psychological stuff get in the way of him realizing that I was on his team. The whole time I was on his team, I was also his secret tech. Like we're standing out in front of like four thousand people, and he's getting going, "Ding, ding, no sound." I'm the front man. I'm loose, so I look behind his amp. Since I know I'm pretty much of a gearhead too, so like I look behind his head, I can see the speaker cable hanging out, you know, that kind of thing, you know. And so like I was his secret tech too, and I, I took pride in that, you know. And he finally realized that, and we finally started to bond on that. Not until my very last tour with St. Vitus, actually the tour right that popped in Norway. But uh, and that sort of ended it all because after that, 
you know, he's just too paranoid. He, he, I don't know. He thinks I'm too much of a loose cannon to tour with, but I mean. Is that because of music or just because of your past history and struggles? Well, uh, actually, well, before, good, please, actually, I want to say, though, can I just say your sound, though, like yeah. I got into St. Vitus when you started. I knew of St. Vitus, but when you came into it is when you may, you just being into it, maybe it was enough to put your own stamp onto it that put a yeah. sound into it. Because that's when I was like, oh, I, my, my buddy's like, oh, check this out. I'm like, yeah, I don't say Vitus, you know, but he's like, no, no, no. And it's like, oh, it's, it's, yeah, my phrasing is different. Like I think, yeah, my phrasing is different and more and more traditional as far as like Ozzy or Singer goes. Whereas, you know, the original singer, Scott, Scotty Riegers, I mean, I love him, but he's got this weird kind of operatic kind of style. To be honest with you, that I didn't found hard to digest. I mean, a lot of people like that. I mean, a lot of people, especially in Europe, are purists. And, you know, the original bias, you know, blah, blah, But then a lot of people also are like, you know, they, they miss my vocals. And, you know, all I can say is I learned a lot in St. Vitus. And, and we, did have a, we did have a sound. And, like, David, you know, he, he continued on, you know, the Sabbath-y kind of style of, like, you know, more of a visceral kind of guitar sound. Uh, you know, with Spirit Care Man, that was a period in my life when um, I made some really positive life decisions. I became completely sober. Um, yeah, I had children. I mean, it definitely was like sort of, in my in my opinion, like sort of the golden years as far as like, I think my playing was, uh, maybe if not at its peak, but my playing I think was some of the best I've ever done. And then uh, I think that my playing, uh, my playing uh, really reached, not necessarily its peak because I think it, well, it, I think I really hit a, hit a mark, personal mark with the hidden hand there, you know, with the hidden hand. I'd never, I'd never taken, um, uh, politics into consideration yeah. in the music because i always felt like it was kind of a crush you know but i must say around this time when they're beat, beating the drums for wars in afghanistan and all this crazy stuff you know i decided to uh just kind of let my you know let it hang out a little bit you know and since then so much has changed even i mean you know the left is the new right blah 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 you know the gray is the new it's blue. A mess for everybody you know it's just it's like literally just stepping into a puddle no matter what you do i know it's, it's and it's confusion but it's designed that way and this brings you to like, okay, so the new, in February, this February 2021, or no, 2022, I'm sorry, we will be going into the studio to record the next Obsessed record. And it's going to be called um, Designed to Divide. Nice. Yeah, so I'm gonna, we're going to let it all hang out. I think it's going to be the heaviest, the material so far seems to be it's going to be the heaviest record yet that I've done. And um, I'm going to incorporate all elements. I'm going to play goose guitar, it's going to be electric guitar. But it, it's going to be whole, hopefully, you know, a, a good, uh, you know, a good blueprint of what we're all about. So, so actually, so acoustic too. You going to implement that into the, the the pattern, or just layer it? Layer it. Yeah. Okay. A little yeah. different. Well, you you aren't you aren't slowing down. I mean, the the last album is heavy. I mean, you guys, and it's hard because I can't say like that's your golden period for songs because you write so many different types of songs. I mean. These acoustic yeah. songs are so bare. I mean, that's usually the test of a song. Right, like right. Or yeah. your guitar. Like, it's literally, that's it. It's very true. Very true. So your songwriting, you know, is still growing, you know. Um, this last album you just did is, is really just powerful. It's really, I love it. Um, it's hard because, like, it's, you have you do have an album. You have a band for different moods is what you do. <laughs> right. But, I mean, like, you know, the personalities have gotten in the way. And I, you know, unfortunately... Every band that I've been in from, you know, the early line of the obsessed, Hidden Ads, Spirit Caravan, everything, 
I've always thought that, you know, I've always looked upon that as being, hey, this is it. This is my vehicle. It's my license to fly. And one way or another, you know, weirdo, you know, personality conflicts have gotten into, crept in. A lot of it has to do with touring because, you know, even when I was married and had, you know, I still have kids, obviously, but when I was married and had, had duties, uh, you know, stay-at-home dad duties, I still managed to tour because I believed you got to take the music to the people. And traditionally, that really is the way you sell records. Like traditionally, before the internet or whatever, you, touring is what brought you to the people. Yeah. That's what brought the people to, you know, to buy your record. Yeah. There's Three albums to break you or, or four albums to break you. Nowadays, if you don't have a single, you're gone. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, you know, with the digital realm, everything, like so many things have changed. So, I mean, I, I personally, I think the artists, modern artists these days have a little bit more of a chance than we did in the past because, you know, the, the litmus test for success in the 90s was Beavis and Butthead, okay? You know, Street Side made it, right? And then one dude goes, one of the, one of the two, I can't remember, goes, uh, these guys look old. And that was it, yep. pretty much. I mean, that was, I mean, I know it's hard to swallow, but that was pretty much the make or break test back in those days. You know, you get on whatever that show was, uh, whatever that show was called that they were on. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I can't think of it right now. MTV's, uh, yep. you know. It was, Beavis, it was actually just Beavis and Butthead. And then they had that and they had a bunch of other shows. I mean. Whatever the metal show was called. I mean, Sean Bill did it too, like later on with, with Jamie Jossa, which was cool. But I mean. You know, I'm really happy that bands like Sean Builder or The Hidden Hand or, you know, Spirit Caravan, you know, give a little bit of attention because, you know, I think that's, I think it's important. I think Sean Builder was a fantastic, you know, band. I mean, really, I had hopes for that band also, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I've always been the black sheep, man. You know, I, I speak from the, I shoot from the hip, you know. Well, I think so as part of, I mean, I know touring is a nightmare. It's notorious for destroying relationships yeah. and people. So if you're, one degree off from a personality, it's going to be a challenge, you know? Oh, yeah. People and show I, the two colors, two colors on tour, that's for sure. You know, I, I know people like I, I couldn't drive across town with without <laughs> pulling the car over. So I couldn't be in a bus with somebody, you know? And then you got to be creative. It's it's like the four-way marriage or the five-way marriage or your trio. Usually, you're usually a power trio type of guy, so it's your three-way, you know? That makes it a little bit easier, you know? You think so? Or, or you get, yeah, but then you get the thing, you get one guy out, right? You're the one with well, the you know, you know, That's you know. right. There you go. There you go. You can't have a majority. <laughs> you're still gonna have a majority. Right. You're still gonna lose because if you're that one guy, you're the you're the you're the you know, he's a troublemaker, you know. Then you know you feel like you're on the outs even more instead of having four guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there is something to be said for a power trio, but there's also something to be said for two guitars. Like if you can find if you can be in a two guitar band where both guitars are their egos are away where they're not just concerned about themselves and they want to be team players and they're, they're mature enough to be in tune and, you know, balanced and volume wise, but you've got, you've got the recipe for a really great band. I mean, right. my two guitar experiences have been pretty good with Premonition 13 and with Tron Motor. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have to say that, you know, um, when you, when you're in a situation with, with two guitars where one guy is always turning up, because he's just, his ego is just getting a hold of him psychologically. It's like, it's not going to work. Jesus Priest was a good example of a band that really blew my mind with two guitars in the early days, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. They, you know, uh, made the same way, I think, you know, a lot of teamwork. Yeah. So much teamwork, they have three guitar players now. I mean, there's room for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, uh, we toured with Paul Bear, and Paul Bear had three guitars, 
And they yeah. were getting ready to go and record with Vitus. They supported Vitus. And they were getting ready to go record with Billy Anderson, who I think was fantastic. You know, he yeah. did deep stuff, high fire. And they were asking me some questions about recording. And the only advice I told them was, listen, you know, everything has its sonic place, you know, in the ram. Like, if the kick drum sounds, it's putting off the same frequencies as one of the guitars tuned down to C or whatever it might be, then you're going to start to have interference, you know. So I think everything has its sonic place. So everything, the frequency should be a little bit different. Like, you know, the bass oh, and the kick yeah. drum, you know, you know. If everything, if, you know, if all the guitars sound exactly the same frequencies, then you're going to end up with like a wall of mud that will be hard to discern in the mix. But, you know, I mean, come on, this is like modern day. I mean, that kind of, those kind of concerns are pretty much out the window. It's like what the end product sounds like is what the end product sounds like. Yeah, yeah but let's be honest, like some of the best bands, you can tell just by like say an interview when they're talking about the guitar players will be like, yeah, I joined this band. But they're like, didn't you used to play like a Les Paul? You're like, yeah, but I switched to this because so-and-so plays a Les Paul, and his sound is right here in this pocket. And I'm not going to compete with him. I want to be a part of it. And that's how you know right there, that band is going to be okay because the guitarists are, are like are, are like working on building something, you know. He's, from... conscientious, he's conscientious of the sound, and he's conscientious right. of what he needs to do to make it better. And I think that that's nothing. That's all good. I mean, that shows... A lot of guitarists have done that. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to mention names, but I mean, some of the better bands have done that. You can hear it in the two guitars they talk about that's yeah, absolutely i mean i was always told by my dude that you know a les paul and a strat panned right you know pan you know you know pan left and right is an incredible combination and, and it is you know leonard skinner is a good example of that yeah. or the outlaws to some extent you know uh, i can't really I'm, right now i can't really think too many other rock bands but they exist and, and you know so yeah i agree you don't usually play Strat, huh? I don't think I've ever seen you with a Strat. Do you? I have a Franken Strat, which is like an old Strat body. Okay. With a modern neck, and I have some pretty hot pickups in there. It's pretty cool. I played it in Hidden Hand and Trimiller a little bit. And the Obsessed also, like Maryland Doomfest, I used to do it because it's a great downtuning guitar for some reason. For some yeah. reason, I can tune that guitar down and leave it in drop, like all the way down. I mean, I never tune my whole guitar down. Right. I do like a kind of a, a Victor Griffin style drop when I first saw. Victor in Death Row slash Pentagram, he was the first person I ever saw who, he tuned his guitar a certain way, he would just drop his low string. Okay. Really? He would drop his low string to B, which I thought was fantastic. So then I, then I asked him, hey, can I use this tuning? He said, yeah. Then I wrote Hiding Mask, uh, Climate Despair, Sodden Jackal, and B. And then when then I started, then I discovered myself I could go even lower and go down to A. And then I wrote Lost Sundance, and some stuff the hidden hand did, et cetera. And like actually the new the new uh obsessed record is gonna have quite a few songs in that tuning. But I, I start with that tuning by tuning my whole guitar a half step down to start with. So going to A would actually be a half step beyond the G sharp, et cetera. So while we're at talking, what are you using for strings? What are, what are your gauges? I use uh I use uh Ernie Ball. I mean no, I'm sorry, I use uh, uh I use D Dario. Yes, D Dario strings and I use I get a seven string set. So it goes 59, uh, 46, 36. And then I've got a radical jump that goes like 17, 11, 17, 13, 10. Wow. And uh, because I play lead, I got to be able to bend. I oh, yeah. Well, that's why I ask because you're so heavy, but then you're so soft. Yeah, I, I, I just did almost all my guitars with Didario right now, and I've got all different sets. I couldn't even tell you the top of my head because I'm always playing with the gauges and the sounds. And, and you have to. What I've learned just recently is that you can't not put the heavy gauge strings up. 
you can't put my gauge strings I like to use with some guitars on every guitar. It'll just fuck it up. Yeah. I put some on, and it was like the heavy ones, and like this is the best one. And and some guy that one of the guitar places recommended. It. I'm like, all right, I'll try it. Man, it's like the best expensive. I put them on. And I was like, what is this garbage on this guitar? It is the worst sound. And I've heard people score by it. Like, and it's just like it depends on the guitar. It just depends on the guitar. Literally, all the way. different guitar. It's like the same style guitar, just a different guitar. Yeah. That's right. Like this KR top, you know, rock. Hold up and show it to the to the, the audience. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, there we go. Look at that. This guy, this guy, uh, he painted a, the image of a, a naked woman on there. I don't know if you can see it or not. It's like, uh, it's basically like breasts. She's kind of like a sideways twist. Okay. Yeah. And, but, you know, on this guitar, and then I put in, my favorite thing to do with acoustic guitars is I'll find like a, a Tysco electric, like a cheap Tysco electric that has, a, you know, a brutal sounding, uh, you know, imitation uh, Diermond pickup in there. Okay. And, uh, maybe, maybe even a real one if it's the 70s. And I'll take it out and I'll put it, install a, you know, electric guitar pickup in there. And that heats it up substantially. Does this it? This has got a pretty nice install. Got a small. And also, my boy, uh, the drummer for the chest, uh, Brad Dog, he makes glass pick guards, right? Okay. And the glass pickets, they're attached with, uh, uh, with a tiny, tiny grommet underneath it so that it actually holds it above the face of the guitar by the, about the width of a credit card. Yeah, and uh, I think it enhances the sound. Plus, they look real cool. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it has a glass pick guard. Yeah, is he selling those or just making them on the side or what? Well, he started making them on the side, and then you know we consulted about it and uh, do any color you want. Like he's a stained glass guy. I'm gonna so, have to man, talk to you after the show. We might have to. <laughs> get me uh, you know, you can you give me measurements of pick guard or something you'd like. Yeah, then, uh, uh, man, I, I'll definitely have him send you a prototype or something for sure. Yeah. That's it's. I'm always looking for a different sound, and so is that the guitar you've been using on your your acoustic ones lately? No, this guitar I got on the last tour actually it belonged me. It belonged to me, and I had it painted a long time ago, but it didn't come back to me until recently. So I get I got this guitar, and I gave it up to be painted about uh, ten years ago, and I got it back painted about seven years ago. And then I had it give it to another dude to rework, and he reworked it. Had somebody go through it because it doesn't have a truss rod. The neck had to be reset, sort of like Martin, some Martins, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a weird thing, you know? Some Martins, older Martins, they don't, 70s Martins, they don't have a truss rod. So so you have to have the neck actually physically taken off and reset. But that's pretty common. I didn't realize that. It's pretty common. It's also a pain in the ass and expensive. (laughs) But, yeah, Roxanne is pretty new. But I did, you know, my acoustic stuff I did, I usually did with, uh, with Old Girl, which is my 59K. And uh, different Gibsons. I had I have got a J thirty five also reissue, and I've got a. Uh, and I also played a Southern Jumbo. I love the sound that you're getting off your acoustics on those on the solo albums, especially this last one. The point of reference. It's so, it's bright, it's clean, but it's got depth to it. You got depth, and that, a lot of that has to do with uh, the recording technique and Frank Marchand. He's like the same engineer who we recorded um, Sacred with. He did the he did the acoustic record. And I think he's got an amazing uh, ear. He does a great job with your voice too. I mean, your voice is your voice, but I'm saying, but it feels yeah. like the sound. I like your voice, obviously, but it sounds like just the acoustic guitar. It feels like you're like two feet from me. Like it's <laughs> it's uh, like it envelops you. You know what I mean? It's it's really good production for that, especially for that for that album because it's very you're right there. It's very personal, which might very add personal. to making it very heavy. 
very personal. And like that microphone is like, that's like a $10,000 microphone singing into. Really? What is it? That's like one of the original like propaganda, like Sennheisers or some shit. Oh, one of those? It's really, it's really a super old German mic, you know, and really well made. I mean, literally, it's a ten thousand dollar mic. It's worth every 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 penny because it's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. That's one of the things. I usually when I'm doing vocals, I usually have, you know, I'm in a, in a booth, isolation booth, and I've got my headphones on, and I can control the mix, I control the level of the guitars, bass, drums. But I also get him to send me, he can put a little bit of effect on the vocals. And send it back to me so that when I'm singing, I have a little bit of reverb or a tiny, tiny bit of delay just to kind of sweeten it in the headphones, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice because it allows you to, it's not so harsh and raw, you know, so it allows me to, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's, I, think it, I think it improves things. It is, but you you have a good voice and it's, it's very, it's a strong voice where it doesn't have to be prettied up. It doesn't have to be. It's just beauty this is and the rawness. Of this is just for me personally, right? I'm saying because there is a beauty yeah. to the rawness of your voice, though, yeah. where it can be like heavy and pretty. pretty that's what kind of saying is like a, a weird balance, and I, I, you know, I'm lacking for the proper words for it. But that's, I mean, you hear it, you know it, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you bring that on and off. You know, you know, you want emphasis by it makes it a little bit hard. You know, like I, I can almost say like you know, showing your teeth a little bit. On some stuff and getting closer, getting farther away. That's all. That's all kind of like a. It's kind of like something you learn. You know, I mean, that's like been a an art. I mean, I'm really glad. One thing I'm really happy about is I'm happy that St. Vitus ended up with me just being the lead singer because without having a guitar to hide behind and stuff, you really, I really learned how to sing. I think really learning how to sing from the diaphragm and not from the throat. It's weird that you didn't do any lyrics, so like you really don't have much control. It's always some weird. lyrics. I know, but lyrics. you know what I'm saying. But like some singers, like really control because they're your words. It's like telling the guitar player to what solo to play. Like it's like, yeah, I can play some songs, but really, it's kind of what I do. I'm a guitar player. I started to tell the story, but I think I lost sort of what happened with Saint Why I don't play guitar. But it's pretty irrelevant, man. Really, the bottom line is the bottom line is you know is I really learned how to sing. I think. I'm grateful yeah, well, for that. Yeah, we don't need to beat a dead horse or a dead war horse. A obsessed joke there for you. But, but you know, <laughs> you're, the question is, so, like, with all these things when you're writing, so, like, you know, you spare cave in and, you know, are, are, a skull, a hidden hand, and trying to, like, all these different stuff you're doing, are you writing songs going, ah, this will be solo, this could be a good obsessed song, you know, like, how are you balancing? Plus, you're doing art. We're going to talk about your art after, too. That's you're great doing a, a lot of different things. Like, how are you... That's a really great question. Like, okay, for example, um, you know, for the for the sacred record, um, there was a couple things that I had written specifically for acoustic. And one day I woke up and I said, you know, why am I compartmentalizing this stuff? Because the obsessed really is an all encompassing band. I mean, you know, you can call the obsessed a doom band. I call it a hope band. But whatever you call it, you know, music is music and and it, it's diverse. And so, like Stranger Things, for example, off sacred that was going to be uh, an acoustic song and, you know, tuned down and everything, but it turned out to be a fantastic electric song. I, just, I decided to break the barrier there. Um, but yeah, there are some songs that are, that are definitely hardcore acoustic. You know, I would think like, you, you know, I've got a, a new song called Noble Man and I'm actually going through, uh, you know, some thoughts right now, whether I'm going to put it on the new obsessed record or not, because I, it really is an acoustic song. And I will probably leave that acoustic song. You know, where there's another one that oh, you should do it. Take that left turn. Take that left turn. You're an artist. Take that left turn. I could. I can. Do it. You know, I do can. it. Do it. Yeah. 
I would totally do it. That's the whole point of what you do. You know what, what I mean? That means, though, that what that means, though, is that the, the next acoustic record will be longer and coming out. <laughs> you, you just you're gonna do what you're gonna do, you know, because what will happen is it's gonna force you to take another turn. Right. Like one of the one of the things I'm saying is like with you can take these left turns, like you were it'll force you because like you said, you didn't play guitar and you sang in St. Vitus, right? And it'll force you to sing differently. So put an acoustic on this other album or whatever, and they'll be like, You can't do that. And you're like, I can do whatever I want on why no? You see the life I've lived. Right. And I'm all, I'm all, definitely all the way about that mindset. All the way. There are no rules now. That's the whole point. You don't have the record companies. I call them banks anymore. Right. You do what you do, and then it's just going to chart a course. Right, but I mean, it's, it's, it would be all about like, will it work? Well, yeah. that's yeah. yeah. You, you got as long as you're working with the music, you feel it works. I mean, you're not. I'm not worried about the the music purists. It's more about because it's all about you as an artist, what you're going to do, what you want to yeah. do, and then right. It's like and afterwards is, is, is the, the bonus on the cake or something, but it's not. You got to look at it afterwards and go, like, Yeah, that album three years ago, uh, I wish I didn't, or I wish I did. That album, you know, could have been this, or I, you know, yeah, it's your I mean, legacy. As, artist, I mean, as an artist, you, you know, if you're ever, if you're ever completely satisfied with something, then something's wrong, I think, you know. But I mean, but as far as production and stuff goes, I mean, I will never let anything go out that I do. That I feel is produced so far. I mean, I just won't happen. And that goes for demoing too. Like, I'm not really a big demo guy. Like, you know, why demo everything out in the studio if you can just go to the studio and record it? You know what I mean? And I've been lucky that way because a lot of the people that have been in the labels I've been involved with in the past believe in me. So they don't ask me for a demo. So well, I think that's. I can do that though, too, though. You got to be honest. Be honest. Some people need yeah. demo. Some people need the demo. They need people the need demo. demo. Yeah, sometimes, it, you, sometimes we need demo. To have something to listen to, to critique. Right. And we also, we, we do, that's what rough mixes are for us, you know. Well, it's different for me because some people, some of the biggest bands, they can't, they, they paint over writing, you know, eight songs for an album. Or some people are just writing them and writing them and writing them. It just depends, yeah. you know. Um, really me personally, it depends on my state of mind. It's like, I go through periods where I feel like I'm in a rut. But, you know, sooner or later, I get the divine inspiration because I'm always playing. I'm always playing. That's all I want to do is play guitar, really. That's all I've ever wanted to, you know. And, are you playing? Uh, are you? I'm sorry. Are you, are you practicing it ever though? Are you like practicing every any kind of like little style once in a while, or just riffing it, or just all the time, all the time, all the time. I practice all the time. I practice with first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. You know, I get a cup of coffee. I you know, usually do a tarot thing, and then I play guitar. That's... And then, uh, you know, when when it's time to do something else, and I do something else, and I'm always being pulled back to guitar. It's like I got my rig set up in the living room. Got a stereo rig set up there so I can stand up and I can hear two different amps, you know. I, I love pedals and I love sound, and so I'm always experimenting. Um, I'm the same way I love. I got, like, you know, got guitars hanging in my room. I got them everywhere. You know, you, you get an idea. I'm not, a, I'm not a known player or anything, but it's like, it's not about that. It's about how good you feel when you play. It feels right. That's right. That's right. That's, it's, you, you are, in that moment, it's just something else with you and that, the guitar. No matter how That's good right. you are. When it comes to listening to music, too, like, I'm a big vintage audio audio dudes like i love Marantz. you know i've got an old pioneer i've got a couple big old fisher speakers and like i saw some fisher speakers down the street in this, in this vintage store that i'm definitely going to be sniffing out that i've never even seen before they're like they're, they're either 15s or 18s oh, wow. stereo speakers you know fisher was really all about the rent man you know they were and, uh, yeah so that's cool i mean i gotta have that man like my, my lady will tell you it's like you know, like I'll spend hours, hours setting things up and dialing it in to 
where it's like, man, it's just, yeah. I, I, I'm saying I love my record player. And I think the, I have Bose, but I think the speakers are still like 25, 30 years old. I like the older sounds. I like. Bose are fantastic. Oh yeah. I mean, I have a lot of Bose, but I'm saying even, you know, technology has changed and you can model and fractal stuff, whatever I'm saying about like, the old bows we got was my wife got from college. I mean, it still sounds fantastic. I just hooked an old record player to it, you know, and it's just fantastic, you know, because I love yeah. vinyl. And I think most vinyl, there's very few bands I'm very picky, picky over the 90s for groups. You just, it's not the same anymore. They're not produced, they're not mixed for vinyl anymore. It's a different, different world. You know? Right. And mixing for vinyl is, is, is an art into itself. Oh, yeah. Mixing mastering, but absolutely. I mean, that's why we left off on so long off of Sacred because. We couldn't put on both "On So Long" and "Stranger Things." They're the two longest songs, so we had we had that was a really really hard call. We went with uh, "Stranger Things" on the record because I can't remember exactly what our what our thinking was, but maybe it was a little bit shorter. So "On So Long" became kind of like you know became the download tune, which I think is one of the strongest tunes you know of that era that I've done. But it, it is what it is, you know. Well, it's, it, it, you know, the thing is with that is like, you know, when you talk about like breaking down and mix the sounds like you can do with newer music, you can't go into your stereo and do like the rock and roll happy face when you do that little do 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 to get the primo sound. You can't do that with music nowadays. It's like flat line. It's just compressed. And it's just, you know, you can be like, you can really do stuff with, with, you know, with good analog mixes at home. Yeah, you can I'm almost still, do your own mixes. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I still struggle with how to send people files, like whether, you know, wave. Uh, the, the Apple uncompressed seems to work when I'm just like throwing around garage house. Hey, Cheryl, yeah, is that bull around? Yeah, I'll bring it. You <laughs> threw me out there for a minute. I, I say, tell you, so one of the things like I love, so like I like diversity with music and, and artists. I like, and usually I'm pretty dedicated to like who I like the artists and follow them. So what's in one of my things about you that I love is because you've done so many different types. So there's like, like I said, a lot of flavors and stuff. One of the things I always wish it had happened is I wished, and, and maybe you can tell me, had you ever done anything, there's two things I'd like to see, with with, with uh, Tony Iommi, any other thing? I'd love to see him, you guys do something. I mean, it's probably too late now. Is there any? Well, you know, the, the Bullring Brummies thing, okay, on the first, on the first right. Columbia, right. I did, you know, the reason I was even on there in the first place is because of the record company Chiefs wouldn't allow Iommi to be on there. But he had already recorded his tracks. And so, my deal with that was, is I followed his tracks and then played to him. And, but you know, that was a, that was, that was a record coming cheese back in the day. I know, but you know what I'm saying? He's has a million tracks put aside, old school tracks recorded somewhere. I'd oh, love yeah. to see, I'd love to see you get your hands with him on it and do some older style. Yeah. That would be. I'd love to do something like that. You know, if, if, if something like that would come, come along, I mean, it'd be cool. I mean, I gotta tell you, and I'm going to be honest that, you know, I think that, you know, well, Geezer wrote all the lyrics to Saturn. We know that. Right. That's you when know, you come in. You can write the lyrics with Tony. That's the whole point. <laughs> right, right. Well, Tony had his his lyricist and his best friend just died. The, the, you know, if you ever saw Sabbath, if you ever went to see Sabbath at a stadium, mm-hmm. you happen to have the shitty seats in the world where here, you know, where you're sitting exactly side stage to them, exactly, which yeah. you would have seen uh, Jeff Nicholson. Behind the curtain, sitting in the chair, he's got his keyboard, he's got his mic, and he's got his guitar. He's the guy that behind the curtain, he would sing with Ozzy the entire show. He would sing with Ozzy, and if Ozzy's voice was bad, then the, the sanity would bring Nicholson in and out because he had Ozzy's voice down. He played the rhythm guitar live on Dirty Women, et cetera, et cetera. That's such a so great riff. That's he was in that band riff. chords. He was in that band chords. 
Now, Quartz is really produced by Naomi. And he was Naomi's best friend. He, he talks about him in Naomi in his book. And, you know, the, 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 the leader Ford, you know, reached the impasse with Naomi because him and Nicholson would be all coked up and lock themselves in the apartment. She couldn't get in with the groceries, right? Okay, thank you. But Nicholson was his buddy. And, but the Quartz is really important because Quartz produced, they did a couple of records, but Quartz did a couple songs, man. There's a song by Quartz called Mainline Riders. Mm-hmm. And there's a song by Quartz called Circle. Those are very, very influential in my in my musical history as far as growing up. And I, I didn't know it, that he was the Naomi's uh, or Sabbath's uh, secret behind the curtain player. I didn't know that. He was a secret sauce. I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's interesting, right? He, yeah, he didn't want anybody to know that either. He kept that under wraps. If he came outside stage, we after the venue for a cigarette. Somebody goes, you know, uh, Jeff, Jeff, you'd be like, Shh, you know. Really? They've yeah. always had secret singers behind um, Ozzy, I guess, because didn't uh, Mason or – no, there's a couple guys who used to sing behind Ozzy later on, too. He's, he's, there's always been guys in the background there behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz stuff going on vocally. I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. No. I mean, look, I think it's kind of cheesy. I mean, I saw Sabbath in 72. So that's why pretty much why I am the way I am. Yeah, you saw Primo. I mean, I saw him later on. I mean, we're not that big a difference. I'm 51. You're like, well, you're like 59 or something. I'm, I'm 60, 61. Okay, so, so you, get a you get a compliment. You're not a day over 59 in my eyes. Why not? Not a day over. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't feel. I feel like I'm 61 going on going on 30. Dude, after listening to your uh, the last obsessed album, uh, you're 33, man. That's the power. I couldn't get the energy for that album. 33. <laughs> with you, with the, the the art, what is going on, man? You got some crazy art going on. I'm loving it. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I've been doing art. It's like, you know, I just naturally start like to draw, even though I can't really draw. I mean, I mean, my portions are out sometimes and sometimes it's kind of reckless, but just, I think that I have, I mean, somebody told me this recently. It really made me think. She said, you have an eccentric brain. And, you know, I never really looked at it that, like that before, but I, I even had to look up. I know what eccentric means in terms of, how you say, but I really had to look up the definition because, uh, and you know, I guess, I guess she's right. I mean, it was like, um, I just see things differently and I see weird things in in my, the nature of my, uh, I've always had a a good uh, imagination or a rich imagination. And, um, you know, I never let anything or anybody tell me any different. Well, I think part of it is you're you're eclectic and I think when you're saying you think of the hope music instead of doom, well, I, that's that that rings out true. And I think that maybe one thing people don't get with doom music or with heavier music is it allows you to feel these emotions, and then it's like yeah. medicine. It, it kind of it, it, it is like out of you. It, it lets you to understand things about yourself, and it, you know it's different for everybody. But it doesn't actually make you sad. It makes you work on things and, and feel certain emotions that maybe you aren't tapping into on your own, but. The, the, the notes or maybe the frequencies or the words or, or whatever allows you to find that journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure what it is, but I can tell you straight up that music fiction is so important uh, in my mood. Like, to be honest with you, I got to tell you, when I feel like ultra down these days, within like, I'd say the last half a year or so, man, I put on like a long playlist of some 70s funk, like some hard funk, you know, and get with it from like, you know, perspective of like, you know, everybody from Bootsy to Grand Central Station, you know, and um, and Sly and all that kind of shit. I just kind of feel that, that 
that kind of music uplifts me, you know, in a way. I'm sure that like putting on a good fucking Slayer record and like that uplifts a lot of people too. And I dig that. I mean, bluegrass, bluegrass music is like faster than thrash if you think about it. A lot of times I listen to bluegrass music, I'm like, man, that shit is peppy. Then motherfuckers are like, I mean, he's playing. Those banjo players are insane. Huh? Those picking banjo players are insane. It's insane. They are faster than probably some shredders. I'm going to tell you. I'm making a documentary about my career. You know, my lady, she's a film person. Um, I turned, we watched the, the winter thing, you know, I wanted yeah. her to see it. And watching it again, man, it was really heartwarming, man. It's amazing how, you know, that, that was all about friendship in my opinion, really, you know. Well, isn't that the core of, that's a story. You need to do documentary. Well, we should actually talk about your documentary because that's really the the, the, the treatment of a, of a movie or any kind of, you need to have a, a story where it's like a, a challenge or a battle or, or a point to where you're going with it. You need to go, right. you need a journey. Yeah, you, it's almost like a long song. It's like a visual song. Yeah, you're and right. How, how it feels good when you watch a good documentary, you're like that was good. I feel like I feel like I walked away with something. If you watch it, it's a meandering hunk of something in time. You're like, yeah, it was interesting, but it's not what I I couldn't bite into it. Right. Let's talk about yours. What's going on with that? I've been seeing the little clips and what what we're talking about right now is how how we're we're seeing it. I mean, we're realizing that you really need kind of like a along with just my 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 life story, which is you know, can be a little chaotic. It really depends on how we cut it. But we're doing like what it is. We're doing interviews. I did a journey from uh, where I live now in upstate New York all the way across to, to Texas road trip in, you know, in a van with a trailer to grab my motorcycle, which was uh, being, uh, I had some fabrications done and some adornments done and some mechanical stuff done by a friend of mine in tech in Austin, Texas. And I love Texas. I, I was raised you know, I did some time there when I, in my youth. Let's put it that way. I just like it, not for its politics, it's for the, the land itself. And uh, so we went out there and did that. And along the way, we decided we're going to interview. We're kind of building the theme as we go. We, we decided we're going to interview a lot of people. We got Bauer from Down. Yep. Bauer. We got Dixie Dave and Shep from Weed Eater. Um, we got Bobby Fengram. Um, in the works, there's still a lot of other people too. Uh, my friend, my friend Matt Jackson, who you know, is pretty big in the motorcycle scene down there, and uh, you know that kind of thing. Awesome. Weaving that into a story, like we have sort of like a story because there's a lot of exciting stuff, and a lot of my stories, I think, I think people will get into. But people always tell me, oh, you got to write a book, got to write a book." So that's coming. But but the thing about it is, is is we want to, you know, to make a to make a good movie. That is a super challenge, man. It is. You you need an arc, and I think you first off you can't get enough interview footage. You can't get. You can never have too much footage. <laughs> right. After you do, you just no. But you do have a good personal story along with the music because of the challenge of the bands. You have success and failure, and comeback. Everyone loves a good comeback. Everyone loves a rocky story. If you're talking about like what an audience views, and then there's different types of niches. But your battles, you know, was that you. You know, right. homelessness or, or your amputation, like you, that's some pretty rock bottom stuff going on there, man. And now today we're talking, you know, you're your dad and your kids are successful, and you're at a point now where your career, where you can do all these different pieces of work, you know, that's a success story. And it is, there's a journey it, it, there. It, it, I have to feel blessed every day. I have to feel, I have to feel lucky, and I feel blessed. You know, you, you know, however you want to, you want to consider your traditional God or Great Spirit. I really feel blessed, and, and you know. 
my goal always from the very start has been to share that. You know, my, my, my philosophy from the, very, from the start never wavered is that I was born with a gift. And I believe that that gift is not only do, do I need to carry the torch for humanity, but uh, that gift is something that I will use to bring happiness to other people. And myself, too. And a lot of times, you know, I, sometimes I leave myself in the, in the later part of the equation because giving and stuff like that is way more important to me, man, you know? It, it is, but but you know what I'm saying? Like with the documentary, like it's also good to see a relatability. Like you're like you have a, a musical talent, but you've also fallen on personal issues, and it's we all do. Right. But to show, like you know, for another person, to go look. He's got this talent, but he also fails. He's human, and he struggles right. the same. And he can pick himself up. That's just your talent is what your career and your job is. And to see like to see like an addiction go to recovery or whatever it might be. That makes for a great movie. It does. And then you'll have a little intermission. Then you walk away with something like, okay, this motherfucker was changed. You know, yeah. And that's how I felt with the Winterman thing. It is. That's that's good. I mean, even, it's not just, (laughs) because I know you had like a little bump in the road there too, like a a seven-year bump in the road. (laughs) So you can, you know, it it shows. It's a flow. You're a human being. You're a living and breathing, you know, person. That's important because everybody challenges all the time and this world's hard. Yeah, seven years, like, yeah, in dog years. <laughs> what you call it? You call it a bender. It's like it's like a life for somebody, seven years. <laughs> I love the phrasing of that. I was like, oh, my God, it's awesome. That's a lyricist for you right there. Seven-year bender? Yeah. Yeah, that's I thought that was When I read that, I was like, that's a statement by a lyricist, a seven-year yeah. bender. <laughs> yeah. That should be your title of your book. <laughs> Good idea. Seven year bender. That's might great. have to put it. Might have to put another another decimal for that seven. Though, you know? <laughs> Dog years. You're awesome. So I want to before we wrap this up, so people can go to your your. Wino, it's Wino Dash or Dash. Sorry, I'm sorry. I've crowded here. I actually wrote a note of that because I wanted to say it properly, and yeah. I write like a doctor, just not smart like one. I can send you. I can send you. I can also send you the links. Uh, Please do. You know, where, where you can get my, see my NFTs and all that stuff too. Yeah, right oh, now, yeah, please yeah, talk about that. That's, that we didn't cover that. Yeah, I'm just now getting into that, but man, I'm, I'm doing some really. I'm doing some. I'm realizing uh, I had an epiphany about you know the digital realm and crypto and all that. And so, like, uh, I had a friend of mine who sort of guided me into that because a lot of people told me you should use your art to make an NFT. And you know, as you know, it's a little bit tricky to wrap your head around at first. I'm so, just learning. I'm just learning. I just talked to uh, Scott Page. Yeah. And he's doing those from he, you know, sex photos for like Pink Floyd and everything. He's just give me like an hour long talk on it to learn. I've got so much to look up now about that because I talk. Right. Some deep stuff, all this, all this, you take a digital image, okay? Like my art, for example. If I take a digital picture of it, okay, and then I think it's fantastic. Maybe I manipulate a little bit, manipulate a little bit digitally, and then I send it to be minted. Once it's minted, it's assigned like a two thousand letter code, which makes it an original. Now, if I burn the fucking painting it came from, then I don't have to do that. But I mean, technically, if, even if I have someone screen, somebody takes a picture of it, it's still not minted by this specialty place. That's what it is. It gets, it basically, it gets uh, appraised. Right, and I get that. But to me, it's more like I'm more like on the the way back cerebral thing. I'm like, all right, but there's only a value to it if somebody thinks there's a value to it, like it's art, or like if you still have the canvas. Like, how's it going to transition to people like me who likes to hold vinyl? When to me, I'm like digital. I've got everything digital. I could care less. Right. So you'll, I'm, you'll never, ever, ever, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. 
It will never, it will never ever be out of the digital realm, except for even if somebody takes a picture of it or tries to duplicate it, it will never have the, the authentication that you had from the mentor or the appraiser. That's all it is. That's what it is. You pay a fee to have this piece, digital piece, a pray, a minted, they call it. Once it's minted, it's assigned a number. So all the things about that piece, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the, the clarity and, the, you know, all that type of shit is in that one single piece as it's minted, that digital piece, okay? Any other variation of that, whether it be a photograph, even a higher quality photograph, or whatever it might be. Is oh, I get that, but back. do you remember what happened? It's harder up here, and I'm not really sure I understand it, but I just know that, you know, in my opinion, like in some situations, in some situations, I think it's a good idea sometimes to get in so you can eat your way out. I was told this, I was told, like, like I said, and there's, you know, uh, Scott Page said, you know, it's time to get into it. Now there's a thing, you know, and I've got a lot to look into it, but, but you know, here's the thing. It's like, but certain copies of things are going to be like, people don't always care if they get the original. I mean, look what happened, I was going to say, with Napster or with copies of files. I mean, at one point. Thing, this watching thing, there's a ways that you can, like, isolate people out of it. And that's like how, when, when streaming started happening, you know. Right. So, like, like, what value do people have on the original things is what I'm saying. Like, do people really care that much? Well, I, I, just, I just met a dude recently. I just met a dude recently who bought some art. And he wants to buy pedals from me, okay, only if they've been used at, at a show, certain shows. Okay, so that is technically almost the same thing. It is. If you think about it, you know, so it's like, look, I, I'll, I would never, ever exploit a fan or somebody or anything like that. But, you know, if somebody wants to buy a fucking pristine digital copy of one of my artworks, I'm not going to kick and scream. Well, do you, okay, let's just say exploit. What do you think exploiting is? Somebody wants to pay a certain well, dollars? You know, exploiting would be... Uh, misrepresenting yourself or, or your art or your product. If you want to sell and, your you know, value, because your the fact that the person, maybe the person is so zealous that he could be, he could be swayed. I mean, I don't think play that game. You know what I mean? But I mean, but there I are certain value for things. Like, that's the hard part because like, I'm like, I can look at some art. Like I like your art. Me around. I know it's hard to wrap your head around. Man, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I couldn't even link it anywhere to go to the websites. I had to rely on my partner. No, no, no. I'm agreeing with you. I'm like, I'm so confused myself because I can't even judge art. Like, I'm like, I like your art. But I can look at someone else's art. I'm like, I don't know what the value of art is to me. Because it's, art very opinion. it's opinion. The value of art is to yourself. Okay, check it out. It's, this, is our, this is our new saying. It was, it was actually coined by a friend of mine uh, named Carlito. And he says, create or die. <laughs> that doesn't just mean paint. I mean, you play guitar. You know, we play right. guitar. You know, we, 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 uh, Create, you know, even if you're cooking, you know, create or die. Well, right? that's the thing. It's, 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 it's the, the intrinsic value, intrinsic value of, of art or creativity of whether it become a digital copy or, or a music or a file. Like, to me, like, I see the value in it 100%, but I don't know how to value it. Like, I see, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's I know exactly what you're saying. It's like the monetary true. value of something because I see the value of it. But I don't like to say one artist is better. Like you can say, technically, somebody can draw like an artist can draw a face and look like a real lion, and some no, people so can be so creative. Yeah, it's so weird. My partner's father asked today, "How do you uh, how do you price the art?" You get somebody that's a Libra to do it. It's not a Libra rather to do it because yeah, a Libra will think about it all day. Bounce that off of like you know. I have somebody you know that bounces off us because we're like okay, yes, right. Right. It would make that would make me crazy. I could not. I can't. I don't. But that's do not my job. So, but my job is like okay. Yeah. 
So I okay from my standpoint of like what's fair, what's not fair, how I'm feeling. And you know, I got to tell you, man, I'm always on the side of the underdog. Always. It's hard because you deserve to get paid for what you do. And it's ridiculous. Some things you're like, you know, I think when you start doing people like art, like $10,000, I'm like, I don't know, man. You cannot, you can't lose sight of your core ideals, man. If you lose sight of your core ideals, then, right. then you know, you lose sight of your core ideals. And to me, when that happens to an artist, if you can really see that. Agreed. And I, I think, and I think you stay where you are. And I mean, and that's like, who's to say what the value is for somebody that, you know, like the hardest jobs are people that to make more money. The people that work at fast food restaurants, they got the hardest jobs with maniacs right. young all the time. You know what I'm saying? You were going to people. people yeah. when you're the stock boy. Yeah. Like I found that, you know what I mean? I don't want to be cashier. I want to be back in the stock room. Yep. Just be in the shoes. You know what I mean? That was punishment back in high school. Remember, I did jobs. You know, which of the catchers says, no, I want, to, I want to unload the trucks today, man. I don't want to be in the front with people. I mean, I've been in both those situations. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. This has so, been. Yeah, you know, I, I, love, I love you, man. I think it's going to be great. Man. I'm having a great time. This is the fact that we can talk about heavy, stuff, edgy stuff, and you know, not and have it not explode. I think it's great. Well, there isn't, and I think that's important. And I think one of the things when I when I started the show because it's not about probably the time I make money. It's about artists are real people, and I wanted to help during this time talk to them in in in, in a way because I've add some in the music industry too but it's not about that it's about to see that the real people and the cost they pay like people don't realize the challenge and what artists do and artists aren't crying about it but it's important that people are aware that artists are real people but they also have to perform they also have to look a certain way they have all these rules and they're, they're everything's a microscope where you're like you know you're crazy or a psycho because you have an opinion just because i don't agree with your opinion you're not a psycho you're reading uh, I mean, you know, my, you're, you're thinking you're talking how are you a psycho you're not um yeah, you know, I've been surprised by my friends. I've been totally surprised by my friends, hardcore friends of mine, who say, out of the blue, like, "No, man, I really admire, I admire you because you make music from you. I mean, you make money from your art." You know? Yeah. And uh, that always takes me by surprise because I never wanted to really look at my musical abilities or my performances as work. But man, I feel like I say, I feel blessed. I feel lucky. I've been able to. Uh, do what I do, and my, my goal still is really to just bring it to the people. I want to make people happy. I want to inspire people, and I want to hopefully uh, maybe I can give somebody some advice. Maybe somebody can give me some advice. Whatever it is, it's all about, for me, it's all about positive shit. Well, you have so many examples of, of you keep, keep writing music, you know. You have a lifetime of, of, of stories in your music, you know. I'd like to see you actually go back and do an acoustic album now of, of a mixture of stuff you've done from all the years of different bands. Great idea. You've had a couple good ideas. And you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not here. I, I just think you. you've got some, so much different stuff going on, you know, cause of your sound and you know, I love your, you have a sound and I just think it's, I'd love to see some of those songs revisited. just a little bit. I'll different. tell you what, when I'm getting ready, when I, when I put these things together, I'm going to send them to you and I'm going to bounce it off you because yeah. I could, now I consider you, you to be a pretty good well, bellwether of stuff. So, so you are wino-art.com, right? Yep. You want to right. got a new um, Obsessed album you're working on next month? Well, we're starting to track in February. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to be called Design to Divide and it's going to be at, on Ripple. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. When it hits vinyl, I don't know because of whatever, the shortages, whatever, but yeah, vinyl's hard right now. You know, the vinyl industry is well as it was just picking up. COVID 
separated it and closed a lot of stuff down. So I wouldn't tell you, Todd is my hero though. He, he really is. He, he told me, it, it, you know, Forever Gone was supposed to come out right when all that shit hit. And he called me up and he said, we're going forward with the release date. Good. Nothing changed. I mean, that's fantastic. You can get a vinyl though out before 224 at this point. Bless your heart. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. The well, way I, I thought that's going to happen. Well, oh, before 224? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just joking with you, but it's, there is a backlog, I heard. You're right. That's what I've been told. But, you know, hope, uh, at least CDs or, or the recording will be available right. for them. Goddamn better be. It... <laughs> so this is yeah, good. It'll be the revolution, man. The revolution. It will, will it be recorded in analog. Right. In analog, though. We'll do it in analog this time. Right. Um, and then, of course, we'll, you know, there's always going to be solo stuff from you coming out. And we'll be back. We'll do more stuff. This, is, this has been yeah. a blast, man. All right? Man, it's been, it's been a gas, brother. All right, brother. I want to thank you, and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Take, take it easy. Okay.